And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everybody. Hopefully everybody can hear me. I don't know. We'll see how this is going to work. We are live from the bunker, the Southern Command bunker. Sounds good. All right, Mrs. Boss over there producing and making sure that we are on. And good to have all of you here. I'm going to be flipping back and forth because I am not on my usual uh, workstation. I'm not. I don't have all of my bells and whistles and my buttons, but we'll get through this and 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 do okay. So, I uh, wanted to just really quickly touch base and let you know that if you are uh, of a mind to listen to these shows as podcasts, we have a number of podcast players where this show is available. So we do invite you to check us out over there. And if you do listen to us uh, in podcast format, uh, we do invite you to join us live on the various different broadcast uh, video platforms. YouTube, Odyssey, and Facebook are our usual channels. It looks like we're having some connection issues to Odyssey today. Probably the, the Stone Martin Weasels. Because, you know, that's how they do. Uh, but uh, it does look like Facebook and, and YouTube are going okay. We'll port this over to Odyssey once we get it done. So uh, so you can look at it over there too. So we do invite you to check us out over on Odyssey and follow us there. We are two subscribers short of 2,000 over on YouTube. We're, we're just, we inch up to, to that line, 1999. And then it goes away, and we're in 1998 again. So <sighs> it is what it is. That's the way it goes. So uh, anyway, my name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Side by For Me. For those of you who are brand new to the channel, welcome. We do invite you to subscribe and have your notifications turned on because we do these shows pretty much uh, almost every day. We do this particular show Monday through Thursday. We've got other programs that you can hopefully enjoy. You can check them out, sample them. If you're so inclined, feel free to share. All right, today's topic, we're going to be uh, just a shorter show today. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but this has come up in conversation a few times on, on different shows. So I wanted to just concentrate in this one space and get your opinions and get your ideas. And if you are not with us live, you can still send us your ideas and comments. Uh, and let us know what you think about some things. Live from the bunker at sci-fi-for-me.com is the email. And you can let us know your thoughts as well. Um, Don't forget tomorrow, Friday, Adam. What? The Adam Project. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Mrs. Boss reminds <clears throat> me that uh, we are in the process right now of giving away tickets to a virtual screening for the Adam Project. We talked about this trailer over the weekend. We talked about it yesterday. Uh, Jennifer Garner, Mark Ruffalo, Ryan Reynolds in a time travel movie. It's going to be on Netflix uh, starting March 11th, I think. But there's going to be a screening, a virtual screening ahead of that. Uh, and we're giving away tickets. So go over to our Instagram, instagram.com slash sci-fi for me. There are three cards and there are questions and you can answer any of the one, any, any one of the three questions of your favorite Jennifer Garner role, your favorite Mark Ruffalo role, your favorite Ryan Reynolds role, and you'll be entered to win virtual tickets. But you got to do it today because at midnight tonight, we're going to cut it off and then we're going to pick people to, uh, to send those names over to the PR company. 
so they'll have those ahead of time. And you can see the Adam Project before it hits Netflix. It's a time travel movie. Ryan Reynolds playing the older version of the kid. Uh, Jennifer Garner is playing the mom. Mark Ruffalo is the dad. And apparently, if I'm reading it right, uh, then, um, then it should be... He's the older version come back to retrieve the younger version to go back even further to save dad. So I think dad is dead in the in the present day. Mark Ruffalo playing the dad. Hello, Mazerus. Good to see you there in the chat. Yes, we are broadcasting from a different locale. We're in the Southern Command. And uh, it's good to see Keely Chow in the chat. Good to see you there as well. Welcome. And <laughs> so hopefully... We're going to we're uh, going to have some people interested in seeing that movie ahead of time. It looks pretty interesting. It looks very much more interesting than the Rings of Power. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, there we are. Anyway, okay. So uh, we're giving that away. What I wanted to do this the the subject that has come up a few different times. Talking about, uh, you see, I'm wearing my Starlog shirt today. We have talked on a number of occasions about doing a print edition of some sort, whether it's uh, news articles or interviews or, or, or profiles or, or something like that, reviews. And I wanted to just sort of confab here and get some ideas and get some feedback, uh, especially from those of you who are familiar with ye olden days of, uh, of magazines, Starlog, Wizard, uh, Fangoria, Cinefantastique, um, or some of the other ones, Femme Fatales, Cinefex, uh, uh, those kind of things, and get an idea of what kind of material would appeal to you as a potential backer for crowdfunding. So basically what we're going to do is we're talking about crowdfunding a uh, crowdfunding a magazine, a print magazine that would be similar to some of the stuff that we do over on the dot com. And we would, you know, because we do a lot of books and movie reviews over there, TV show reviews. Uh, we do a number of interviews here on the TV side of things, but we could take some of those interviews and we could distill them down and turn them into articles. Basically using Starlog as our starting point for a template as far as the kind of, pro, uh, the kind of magazine we would put together. But I wanted to see if there's anything in particular that would attract you to a crowdfunding project of this sort. Now, there's not a whole lot of magazines that are crowdfunding at the moment. One one in particular that we've covered here is Tales of Nova Terra. This is going to be a fantasy magazine in the style of the old, you know, Wizard and D&D magazines. And the idea being it's going to be black and white. It's going to have line art inside it uh, for interior art, very much like the magazines of ye olden days. So we're thinking about doing something like this. And... We'll see. I don't know. Um, Keely Chow says, Stone freaking Loki ripped that show at noon earlier today on Loki's Mornings of Mischief. Oh, 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 oh. You're talking about the Rings of Power. Yes, I know. We talked about it a little bit yesterday while we were on the road. And uh, it doesn't... It does not look like Tolkien to me. It really doesn't. Um 
And interestingly enough, uh, I don't know how many of you read Bounding into Comics, but Bounding into Comics has an article today talking about a letter that Tolkien wrote back in the day uh, when they were trying to adapt The Lord of the Rings as a movie back in the 60s. I believe 1965 is when they tried to do it. Some, some gentleman named Zimmerman was trying to adapt The Lord of the Rings as a movie way back when, and Tolkien was not impressed and his letter, and I don't know who he was writing this letter to, but he basically said, this guy doesn't get it at all, and he doesn't understand anything about the material, and why would we even bother to do this if he's not going to stay faithful to the material? And circulating around online is a, is a photograph of Peter Jackson and his team at the Oscars with their statues in hand for, the, for winning, and basically saying that their goal was to make sure that they didn't inject any modern sensibilities, any of their own personal politics into the thing, because this is Tolkien. You're going to tell the Tolkien story. You're not going to tell your own story. If you want to, if you want to make your own fantasy series with dragons and swords and wizards and whatever, and elves and gnomes and, and orcs and, and dwarfs, that's fine. Go make your own. Don't, don't come up with something and call it Tolkien, and then not put Tolkien in it. So, I don't know, the Rings of Power are going to be, uh, the Rings of Power are going to be really interesting. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a good way. Mrs. Boss sending me an article here uh, from Variety. This this just popped in. This is update today. Yeah. <laughs> this is an update. Warner Brothers flexes Lord of the Rings muscle amid conflict over film rights. Oh. Let's see what this is. Okay, um, let me see if I can pull this up here to show all of you. Stand by here. Sorry, what? You you gonna you gonna be doing this? Okay, hold on. There it is. Let me let me pull this in so you all can see. I want share screen window. Brave tab. Here we go. Ah, uh, modern technology, yes. All right, Lord of the Rings. Warner Brothers flexes Lord of the Rings muscle amid conflict over film rights. This is from Cynthia Littleton in Variety magazine. Warner Brothers has asserted, let me take this off here. Hold on just a moment. Let me lose that. Warner Brothers has asserted that it still rules Middle Earth when it comes to film rights to the Lord of the Rings. The studio has publicly stated its control over film adaptations of J.R.R. Tolkien's classic fantasy trilogy amid rumblings in the industry that a clutch of Lord of the Rings and Hobbit rights are being shopped by longtime owner, the Saul Sands Company. Now, we talked about this on Saturday during Good Morning Multiverse. We told you about this before the studio lost power. This is the rights that are being shopped around that could be valued at $2 billion overall by the time all is said and done. Uh, continuing from the article, the Sands Company and Warner Brothers are in the middle of a private mediation process to help settle their differences about whether the studio has met its obligations to hold on to the license, according to multiple sources close to the situation. Warner Brothers' New Line Cinema took Lord of the Rings to new heights with the success of its Oscar-winning trilogy directed by Peter Jackson. Uh, interesting. New Line Cinema has maintained the theatrical film rights, both live-action and animated, for over two decades now, a Warner Brothers spokesman told Variety. We are currently in production on our anime film, The Lord of the Rings, The War of the Rohirrim, 
and look forward to bringing audiences back to Middle Earth. Now, this anime series, this anime film is not related to the Amazon series at all. Amazon is making that one. I'm not aware that Warner Brothers Television is all is is at all involved in that uh, that project. So, hello, Robert. Good to see you here. We, he's just arrived. You're not too terribly late. That's okay. Uh, continuing from the article, the Sands Company Holdings encompass rights to exploit Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit properties in movies, video games, merchandising, live events, and theme parks. It also includes limited matching rights should the Tolkien estate decide to make movies or other content based on two compilations of Tolkien writings that were published after his death in 1973, The Silmarillion and The Unfinished Tales of Numenor and Middle-earth. Now, that was what we were talking about before, is that if the Tolkien estate decides they're going to make something out of The Silmarillion, for example, then the Sands Company has matching rights, which means I guess they would share control over the project. I'm not sure exactly how all of that works. It might be something we can get Richard Hogan here to talk about uh, since he's uh, he's a, a lawyer for mergers and acquisitions, and he does do some, uh, some copyright uh, stuff. So if, if this is true, if Warner Brothers is fighting the Sands Company about this, this could cause some issues because you've got, you know, this, I don't know how, how much this would impact the, the Warner Media Discovery merger, but it might, you never know. Warner Brothers has had a long-term license on Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit since the late 1990s. The studio is said to be adamant that it has continuously met requirements to hold on to its rights by maintaining active development on the property, exercising options in a timely manner, and making periodic payments to Sands Company. Ah, okay, now this becomes a little bit more clear. So the Sands Company owns the rights to the films, to adapt things to the films. So the Warner Brothers Company is paying the Sands Company who owns the rights along with the Tolkien estate. Ah, I see. See, this is, okay, this is the same kind of thing as what we're talking about with the, with the, um, with the Fantastic Four. Because Constantine Films, the German company that's come under fire in the past, Constantine Films does the same thing with Fantastic Four. So one of the reasons why you keep seeing Fantastic Four movies getting rebooted is because Constantine Films has to have a project in active development after so many years or else the rights revert back completely to Marvel. That's why you see Constantine Films was involved in the Josh Trank film. They were involved in the, the George Romero film. They were, and the, re, the only reason that the George Romero film was made was so that the Constantine Film Company could keep the rights to the movie. They never intended to distribute it at all, which is one of the reasons why it's never seen the light of day in terms of public official distribution. We've got bootleg copies, but we don't have any official release of George, uh, uh, of, of, the, of the Roger Corman, George Foreman, George Foreman does not make movies, folks. Roger Corman. I'm talking faster than I'm thinking. Which doesn't happen very often. Most of the time, I think faster than I talk. Maybe. I, I hear you over there in the peanut gallery. All right, so... 
anyway, it's it's interesting that that would be the fight over this because if that's the case, if Warner Brothers continues to do this, what does that do to the Amazon rights? Because if Warner Brothers says, hey, we, but that's film rights. Amazon's got TV rights. Huh, huh, huh. And if the Sands Company sells, who do they sell it to? And if Amazon buys it from the Sands Company, then we could be in a whole lot more problems coming down the road because right now, right now, huh? Yeah, but it right now, if if Amazon does what we think they're doing to the Lord of the Rings with this new series, their efforts to exploit any of the rest of the Lord of the Rings rights, if they buy them, would be, what's the word? Problematic? I don't know. I see Curtis in there. Uh, Curtis says, I always fat faster than I thin. I hear you, man. I, I totally sympathize. I see. All right. Mazur's doing his job there as a moderator. He's got a wrench. He says to all, welcome to today's live from the bunker. Like and subscribe. Uh, okay. So going back to, <coughs> excuse me, going back to the other idea, uh, this idea for the magazine, uh, Robert suggests here, uh, uh, if you consider an annual magazine with a mixture of reviewing the high points of new sci-fi as well as devoting a lot of space to past better sci-fi, uh, retrospectives, 20, 30, 50th anniversaries would give you ideological cover for covering past sci-fi. I don't think there's any kind of an ideological problem with, uh, with covering uh, past classic science fiction. Um, I don't, I don't, I have not run in to that kind of of mindset anywhere uh your your current modern day fans of things are generally going to have a little bit of a of an issue with some past uh past productions and things but in terms of appreciating classic science fiction i i'm not hearing the twitter the the twitter the twitter tumblr crowd is again we have to we have to remind ourselves we have to keep in mind that they are a minority they are a very very vocal minority and they have a lot of persuasive power that they shouldn't have but in the end in the end, I think what we're going to run into, uh, Robert, I, I get it. I know I know where you're coming from. The cancel cult thing is a, is a thing, yes. But as, as cynical as I am and as curmudgeonly as I am and as much of a pessimist as I am, my you hush, I hear you over there. I have to think, and I, Larry Correa was talking about this on his blog the other day, and he was talking about the ideological divide between the woke crowd and everyone else. We're right now not looking at conservative versus liberal or Republican Democrat. We're looking at far left, lunatic fringe, progressive woke and everybody else. And to the dismay and the 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 destruction of the of the Democrat Party, as long as they embrace that far left lunatic fringe, they're going to continue to lose. And no, 
November, they're going to get a real big awakening when it comes to the culture that they've tried, that they've decided to embrace. Now, once they start losing and losing really big, you're going even more, because we're starting to see it now, even more of an abandonment of the woke mindset because it doesn't, it, it's not, not successful. It's not popular. It's not successful financially. It doesn't make anybody money. It's, it's not, you know, so it's, it's every, everything woke. And I think we're starting to see some of this coming out of Disney, a, a little bit of a turnaround with Disney with, with Bob Chapek's memo that he, that he sent out a few weeks ago to employees basically saying, these are our new three pillars. This is going to be our, uh, our effort. And we're not going to work against our fans. We're not going to, we're not going to do something that's going to cost us money. And Curtis, it's not really so much about, about Trump or, or politics or anything else. It's a cultural thing. And this, in this, this, and impacts the way our entertainment is being produced. You look at Lord of the Rings, for example. I mean, that's a, that's a good example of a, 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 an ideological, political ideological mindset coming in and deciding that we're going to do what Tolkien ignored. We're going to do the stuff that Tolkien didn't do. And instead of being just a straight-up adaptation of Tolkien's material, they're going to jack with it and say, we're going to do something and we're going to make it different because we think we know better than Tolkien who created this, this stuff. And it's that kind of mindset, that kind of ideology that has, I don't want to say destroyed, but has done harm and done damage to Star Trek and Star Wars and Doctor Who and... Uh, well, the, the CW shows, there, you know, the, the not really so much the the Marvel stuff yet, but there's been rumor that Kevin Feige wants to wants to lean into identity politics for Phase Four, and Bob Chapek doesn't want him to do it. So you're starting to see this back and forth, a little bit of pushback on this woke culture thing being in in the entertainment. And from you, you look at uh, Larry Korea's blog, you look at other places where there's starting to be this pushback and people who are in charge, I use that term loosely, but corporate CEOs, elected officials, people are looking at this from a cultural standpoint, not, not necessarily a political standpoint, although that does factor into it too. But the cultural standpoint is that this does not make money. People don't buy the product you're selling if you are leaning too heavily into identity politics and i think that's going to be a factor in determining what comes next you're start, i think you're going to start seeing the pendulum draw you know go back the other way um and yeah it's not like i said it's not a liberal conservative thing it's far 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 lunatic fringe left i mean really fringe and I blame Tumblr. I blame Tumblr. See, because this is the theory that I espoused the other day. This is what I think happened. You have these people on Tumblr who didn't have a space. And they found a space in Tumblr. And they could start doing their fan fiction and their shipping and decide that, you know, 
Bucky and Steve Rogers were a thing. And yes, it, this goes all the way back to Kirk and Spock slash fiction, all that stuff from the 70s. I get it. I know. But it found a home. It found acceptance. And it found an embrace on Tumblr. And, and of course, with shipping and fan fiction, you get into the, the, the other stuff. Uh, as I was reminded the other day, the rule rule 63 stuff. <clears throat> and when Tumblr banned the porn, they all went to Twitter. They lost their minds first. Then they went to Twitter. And that's where you started to see a lot of Twitter get infected with this kind of stuff. And as, as Barry Weiss wrote when she resigned from the New York Times... These corporations or these media outlets have become so beholden and dependent on what Twitter thinks to their detriment. And I think they're starting to realize that they've made a mistake leaning into that. We'll see. I don't know. I, who knows? But anyway, okay, so all of that with Lord of the Rings. Let's talk magazine. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's talk magazine. So... Ideas for magazine. I, I know what we want to do is original. We want to have some original art. We want to have original art on a cover. We want to have original art on the interiors, probably black and white line art because it's cheaper. I think it will probably print on newsprint paper. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. Where are we at right now? It's, it's almost, look at that. We almost went a whole half hour. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a very, very, very quick break. While we're in the break, y'all think about what y'all want to see in a magazine. And then we'll talk about it right after this. Don't go, uh, hang on a second. Let me click a couple of buttons because I'm in a new place. I'm in a weird place. Uh, I think it's weirder all the time. All right, we'll be back right after this. Stand by. Broadcasting from the super-secret underground bunker at World Headquarters, this is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi, everyone. Jason Hunt here inviting you to join us every Saturday for news, science fiction, fantasy, and horror headlines from the week, plus interviews, updates on events going on around the world, and the weather forecast for same. It's all wrapped up in one neat package for your weekend. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. Every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. All right, back live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here, Mrs. Boss over there, kibitzing from the peanut gallery. <coughs> <coughs> I, you know, hey, all right. Um, okay, so, <laughs> okay, all right. Um, Curtis, you and I are going to agree to disagree, but yes, oh, more sci-fi art mags. Here's what we're going to do. This is in the tradition of Starlog magazine. That's our starting point. If you look back at Starlog and comic scene and Cinefantastique and all of these different things, there was a lot of behind-the-scenes features but there was also, um, you know, interviews with actors and directors and writers and producers and uh, production designers and composers. And you'd have profiles of various different people, personalities that were involved in creating these things, whether it was a movie or a TV show or, you know, an author of a book or a comic book or anything like that. So I definitely want to have some of that. 
And I also want to include some think pieces, some essays, some, some articles that are not necessarily news articles, but it's, um, uh, Mindy has done a few of those, the history of, what was that? What was that when you, the, the whole fairy thing, right? You did a folk big tales folk tales, folk tales and dragons. She did a couple of articles, you know, the history of dragons and the history of folk tales. And, you know, you could do a think piece on the importance of uh, Grimm's fairy tales for modern, modern sensibilities, lessons learned from fairy tales, that kind of thing. So you could do some think pieces, you could do some ideas, uh, some idea pieces, some essays on why this thing is what it is, or, or what makes this work, what makes this doesn't work, and, and you know, those kind of things. And of course, we do the interviews too with people. You could do behind the scenes features uh, as far as uh, effects work. Here's how they did the thing, you know, break down some behind the scenes uh, production work. Uh, some some how tos and some not necessarily tutorials, but but you could also do some fan film. Uh, here are some things you need to know before you do your fan film type of thing. So you could do you could do some stuff that's fan film related, fan fiction related. You could we could have a section. We could have a fan fan fiction section, um, but not not publishing fan fiction because that would get us. Uh, that would get us into some issues, but we could do some fan fiction highlights and features. Uh, original fiction, we could do original fiction. We could publish that uh, depending on how that goes. Now, part of this is going to depend on how much money we get because everybody who contributes to the magazine, I want to pay. This is not going to be something we just kind of do out of the goodness of our hearts. This is something that we want to definitely make sure that we have uh, enough money to pay all of the contributors uh, the, the going average rate for contributing to publications. Uh, Curtis is asking, what about a small section dealing with independent publishers like Yard Dog Press and the like? Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> depending on how often we put this thing out, one of the things that I thought about was having a... Uh, was having a uh, list of uh, upcoming books, upcoming movies, uh, TV show premiere dates, and that kind of thing. But depending on if we're doing this thing once a year, if we're doing it every six months, that might not be practical. But we could supplement the print magazine with additional material on the dot com, so we could have. Uh, we could have the 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 print the print material, and we could say for more on this subject, go over to sapphireforme.com. So we could tie those two together. Um, Robert suggests uh, an interview suggestion: create sci-fi YouTuber. Uh, you know, he makes sci-fi videos using dollar store props and shows easily learnable software. Oh, interesting. That uh, well, let me. Um, Let's see here. Create. I'm going to write this stuff down so we can have some notes. Uh, Curtis would like to submit an editorial about how much of The Walking Dead is bad. That's, you know, <coughs> as much as I've heard you guys gripe and complain about it, um, I think I think it's definitely worth uh, worth a look because 
there are a lot of people who still think that this thing is good and you yeah i'm absolutely open to that <laughs> that that kind of an idea for an article well and the other thing too is you know you could look at you know the resurgence of horror uh tim and i have talked about uh doing some sort of coverage where you look at because bloomhouse has <laughs> okay your secret safe with me curtis i won't tell anybody um but bloomhouse uh, Jason Bloom's operation, and now you get Jordan Peele uh, leaning heavily into horror. There's been a resurgence uh, in that genre for for a while now, for a number, for a couple, two, three years, and I think uh, I think it's worth a look on maybe maybe looking at why uh, horror has come back to the fore as strongly as it has, whether it's uh, somebody like Jason Blum or Blumhouse, quote unquote, doing it right in terms of managing the budget properly, coming up with the right stories and, you know, digging into what works and what doesn't with modern horror, or I think it would be a, a good examination of that. I think it would definitely be worth that because, you know, besides Fangoria, we don't have a whole lot of... <coughs> print magazines there's not a whole lot of print material out there that covers horror either um we don't have anything that's covering science fiction right now i mean you've got this this fantasy this fantasy magazine this tales of noah terror whenever it comes out there's a new one that we mentioned the other day on on uh, good morning multiverse that's going to focus on south asian sci-fi it's a brand new magazine it's online magazine that they're going to be covering south asian science fiction so there's there's that too um, Curtis thinks the resurgence will ebb pretty quickly. Well, you would think, but we had a conversation. I want to say, ten, not quite ten years ago, when 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 the superhero movies just blew up with the Marvel stuff, and then DC started rolling theirs out. Uh, Tim and I had a conversation with Kendall Sin about how long this bubble would would last. And we are well past the point where Kendall thought the bubble would burst on superhero movies. So to predict that the 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 interest in horror films is going to is going to ebb anytime soon, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure you can make that prediction and, and, and be able to stick with it because we didn't think that the superhero movies were going to last this long. But Feige has found a formula. Kevin Feige over at Marvel's, Marvel Studios has found a formula that for the most part seems to work. It doesn't work all the time and it's a little predictable in some cases. But he's he's got something that succeeds and it's brought in billions of dollars which is something that star wars hasn't done yet so just saying i'm just saying i'm just saying because disney is looking at their various different divisions and they're saying okay what works and what doesn't something's got to change so we'll see um but i think i think the interest in horror is sometimes some well sometimes somewhat culturally driven 
uh, you look at what's been going on for the last couple of years, I think it's very easy to lean into horror in these uh, in these times that we're living in now. I think it's also something where, uh, given how much that uh, governments and government agencies and media has has tried to encourage us to be suspicious of our neighbors, I think that the other uh, can be uh, uh, ripe for exploitation in terms of the horror. Uh, and the other could be ourselves at some point. I mean, you look at uh, what Jordan Peele did with us, where it's, you know, these are, these are copies, these are other versions of us. And we see what Dr. Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is going to do. Sam Raimi leaning into his horror sensibilities with that, with the variants and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's going to be one of those things. Curtis says, the horror bar keeps getting raised. Great horror films are rare these days. Hard to push the envelope on a culture that is becoming too safe about their entertainment content. Interesting point. I, I think I think as you get I don't want to say more acceptance I think as horror becomes more mainstream let's say uh, finding a bigger audience because horror like science fiction and, and fantasy has always been a niche genre uh, for for the big movies you don't have, huge gargantuan billion dollar horror films and you know you look at now uh with the success of the halloween the new halloween halloween movies um there's a, a are they are they remaking there are they doing a new evil dead i can't remember if they're doing a new evil dead or not i know bruce campbell has sat there and says i'm too old to play ash i'm done playing ash but i think we're going to get another evil dead movie Maybe. so they're still coming out. They're still churning. And I saw, uh, I mean, we still got the Five Nights at Freddy's adaptation that's coming. There's a number of horror video games that are in the pipeline to get adapted for both uh, movies and television. And of course, you've got all of the post-apocalyptic stuff. You've got, uh, uh, what's that one that, that Pedro Pascal is is doing now? Um, huh? The... Help help me out, uh, guys. What's the what's the one that Pedro Pascal is shooting now? The the video the the video game, um, because the second one, the second one didn't go over because he's playing Joel. Um, the last one? No. The last yes, the Last of Us. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Curtis Curtis didn't like the new Halloween movie. Um, somebody did because they're making another one. Uh, so I guess what is, they're making that into a trilogy. I think I think Halloween ends is the is the last one of the new three. I know, but to look at Scream, you know, Scream did pretty well, and I think they're talking about doing another one. So, um, <clears throat> Curtis says I saw every horror film for ten years straight, and there were two or three that I would consider great. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at you look at science fiction or fantasy or romantic comedy or mystery or thriller or crime or any of that. And now given with streaming services needing so much content, 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 it's not all going to be great. Uh, and most of it is not going to be great. You're going to have some nuggets of gold in there, but a lot of it's going to be just, you know, 
not very good. So, um, you know, it to find the ones and, and see, and this is this is the thing is watching all of this stuff to find the ones that are great. It's can, it can be a slog. It can be sitting there going, oh, I got to watch another movie. <laughs> that's not saying that's not saying everybody's got time to do it all because you know you find you find that one that's really good you tell everybody about it and it's it's one of those things where it's yeah, yeah, yeah i mean a lot of it's hit and miss curtis's down downton abbey is is pretty awesome they're making another one yeah. down downton abbey what's it called i don't know downton abbey the prologue downton abbey the beginning or whatever these people know that I'm that I'm not here, right? <sighs> My phone's ringing from people who know that I'm out of town. Huh? The anyway. So anyway, so those so those are some of the ideas. Um, we could do uh, we could do a cartoon. We could do because uh, you look at the old the old model of Starlog. Starlog had. Uh, crossword puzzles and word finds and we could do we could add a haiku we could have a section for a haiku we could do yeah you know, genre related haikus of course we could do a single panel cartoon you know like the like they used to do or you know like handback hem, stuff or we could do um what bad puns, bad puns? <clears throat> maybe we we could probably do something that uh, we could do um, we could do a comic we could do a comic strip. The problem with that, the challenge with that, would be that if we did the comic strip, would it be just a four panel comic strip and that's done, or do we start one to continue somewhere else? Maybe we maybe we set something up on on webtoon. Or I don't know what the other one is. Um, it's not taco. It's it's something something similar to something. I said taco, but that's um, I can't remember. I ha I'll have to go back and look at because comics with perch, uh, comics by perch did a thing about the other one because these are online web comics sites. Uh, Webtoon is one. And the other one, I can't remember the other one, but it sounded, it sounded, it sounded, uh, it sounded Spanish. And it, I don't know, taco keeps coming to my head, but I know that's not it. But yeah, I'll look it up and, and we do. But we could look up, you could, you could do a comic strip. But if we only do the one issue of the magazine and the comic strip is left on a cliffhanger then you know i don't want to leave anybody hanging so we could do a four a four panel strip that just is fully enclosed but we could do something else, you know something like that but um but yeah it's uh it's a work in progress it's an idea but this is something we've been talking about doing for a very long time last year we tried to do a crowdfunding project so we could re so we could build a new website that would be our video platform site and that didn't get near as much traction so i'm hoping with the success of so many indie comics crowdfunding projects going forward mm -hmm. and and making bank hopefully we can tap into that zeitgeist a little bit and sit there and go okay you guys are doing all of this stuff with comics now it's time to start opening it up and do some magazine stuff and there are a few of them out there 
there's a handful of them. There's not that many. There are a handful. And I think that uh, as we get further and further down into uh, the crowdfunding model, you're going to start seeing people do a little bit more with various different formats of books and not just do comic books all the time and graphic novels and that sort of thing. I think you're going to start seeing crowdfunding. There are a lot more crowdfunding for short films. There is that already. Uh, but I think crowdfunding has become much more accepted uh, as a way to finance projects. So I think the magazines are the next thing as far as print goes, because you can you can do those kind of things. And I'm also thinking about crowdfunding an extended version of my not of my novella. So the hero at the end of his rope, which is now available on Amazon. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about doing an expanded edition of that and maybe crowdfunding, but that would be a separate project. The magazine is is something. But what would we call it? Because we couldn't call it Starlog. I would love to, I would love to revive Starlog. I'd love to be the one to bring back Starlog. But sadly, I'm not going to be the one to bring back Starlog. If the people who own Fangoria bring back Starlog, my understanding is it's going to be some kind of an uh, of an electronic. Starlog. So Starlog, Starlog will likely be back as a uh, as a digital edition of some sort, but they're not in a position ready to do that. And I think Comic Scene would be the same way because um, you have both of those are part of the Starlog group, which uh, the current outfit that bought uh, that bought Fangoria last year, year before last. I think they own all of it. And my my last discussion with anybody over there was that they were thinking about a digital Starlock. But it would be nice to see that come back as print edition. But I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, Robert says, I think a sci-fi think piece that might be interesting is popular sci-fi in the Cold War. Dominated sci-fi for 40 years with the invasion of Ukraine after the Olympics, the Cold War is returned with a vengeance Possibly. Um, I mean, Russia hasn't invaded uh, Ukraine yet, but it's that it's that idea. What? Rensler. Yeah, John J.W. Rensler. Yeah, his 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 book All Up, which was a fictionalized telling uh, retelling of the space race uh, starting starting with World War Two. And going all the way up through the Apollo, the the launch of the first Apollo mission, uh, I don't know if we're going to get a second book. I don't know if he if he finished the second one. Huh? Yeah, he's he's gone. Yeah, we lost him uh, last year. Um, good to see you there. What about uh, jumping in the chat there? But I think you know, and and yes, the Russians have always have generally been the bad guys. I mean, the Russians were the Klingons in Star Trek. You have. This idea of the other has always been there, and generally the aliens for the bad guys is 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 an other you know like the Russians or the communist Chinese or you know something like that. You could still do something like that, and I think it would be an interesting uh, an interesting essay to examine the Cold War roots of some of these villains in various different stories. You look at something like, for example, Ender's Game. Or you look at uh, the the bugs from Starship Troopers, for example. 
um, you could you could do yeah there'd be some interesting some interesting notes on some of that so all right let me let me make a note here <clears throat> cold war sci-fi all right all right wrote that down made a note all right so what else what else could we put in there um because you wouldn't be doing a subscription so you wouldn't have any kind of an order form for a subscription you couldn't sell the sea monkeys we could put some fake ads in there that would be kind of like the old you know the extra the x-ray glasses and the sea monkeys and that kind of thing but we could do real ads I don't know how that would look with a crowdfunding book, though. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. So aside from that, because that actually makes me think about the perks, because one of the perks that Peter Smitty did on the last Alterna bundle was ads. You could buy an ad for $25 and, and be in, it was a full page ad that he ran as part of bundles for the Alterna Comics winter thing. So what kind of perks? I don't know that we'd do a whole lot, but if we did perks, what kind of perks could we offer? I mean, you could do a bookmark. You could do stickers. You could do what? We could do patches. We could do mugs. I mean, we've got a design for a mug. We have, I've got a design for a patch. Um, I don't know that we'd have to do necessarily a whole lot of perks for this because if you're doing a print magazine, you buy a print magazine. You don't buy the print magazine to get all of the extra stuff that goes with it. You're trying, you, you want the material that's in the magazine. Yeah. But I mean, that seems like it would make sense to me. I mean, a bookmark would make sense because if you're reading the magazine, most likely you read books too. So you could do with a with, with a bookmark, uh, maybe a metal bookmark, something that would last. As long as it's doing the book, because that's the problem with some of those. Yeah, Robert says, "Are you friends with any sci-fi niche celebrities who might sign a bunch of magazines or bookmarks?" Hmm. We know a few. We know a few people. One or two. I don't know if I could get them to sign anything. Yeah, but Tuckerizations only work for for stories for for that kind of. Oh, you're talking about the authors who are willing to do that. Yeah, that that'd be a possibility. But I don't I don't know I don't know how that would work for doing something like that. We'd have to think about that. But yeah, um, uh, Robert, you're right. A magazine a magazine would work pretty much standalone on it on his own yes curtis we know jeff east i don't know if i don't know what he'd be willing to do he lives in france now so i'm not sure what kind of access we would have to him i could i could send him a note and find out uh but i don't i don't think he travels that much uh these days um we could do We don't need to do action figures. We don't have anything that we we do for that. Um, <clears throat> you know, Curse, I don't know Ashlyn. I think Tim does. 
uh, I think Tim and Dustin know Ashlyn uh, Yenny. She's a horror actress. I don't know her. Um, discounts on convention memberships. That's a thought. That's interesting. I, you know, that's not a bad, that's not a bad thing. Um, just in case has an interesting idea. It says, I'd say sci-fi always had a compromising interconnection to fascism revealed in the, by the interesting uniforms, spaceships, and so forth. Um, okay. I'm not sure I would agree with that, but um, I could, I I guess you could probably make the argument in some cases, but I don't know that necessarily portraying a military organization, whether it's Star Wars or the Empire or Starfleet or, you know, whatever, I don't know that that necessarily means that you have a fascination with fascism because I know a number of authors who have put military groups in their in their books, in their stories, and they're, they're, they don't have any interest in fascism. So I'm, I'm not sure, Justin, just, I, I don't know that that would be, I don't know that that would be accurate. But if, the, if, if, if that's, if that's what floats your boat, then you're, you're, you're welcome to, to think that. Curtis says, I want to read that article. <laughs> You know, it would be, well, uh, I don't know how you would approach that idea, but uh, maybe it's worth a look. Maybe it's worth a look. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, Robert, uniforms have been around much longer than 500 years. I mean, the Spartans had uniforms. The Romans had uniforms. The Roman, Roman army, you know, the legions had uniforms. So I don't know that that's necessarily a characteristic of fascism fascism is generally more an ideological thing between governments and corporations than it is just having a military because i don't know we'll see we'll see but i definitely want to put together a print uh, print magazine this year uh if you have ideas for articles uh, if you've got ideas for perks i don't know that we necessarily want to do too many perks what would be a price point for something like this do you think where where if you let's say let's say we did i know, I know a lot of this is going to depend on how much it costs to actually print the thing but if you were going to buy this magazine off the shelf if you're going to sit there and you're, you're walking into the newsstand and you're looking at all of the magazines and you sit there and you see this one, and you go, oh, that looks interesting. And you pick it up and you decide to buy it. How much would you be willing to spend? Robert says $25 for 60 pages, maybe. I think that would be an okay price point. Now, the challenge is going to be doing sending it overseas. The shipping overseas is murderous. Um, I, I, we'd have to figure that part out because shipping it to some point, uh, shipping it to like say Australia would probably cost as much as the book itself. $25, $30, I think is what shipping is going, going that way. Now I, we'd have to look at it because I don't think they have a book rate going to, going to Australia. 
So well, isn't what's his name looking and how to do it for bringing stuff over here? Maybe he's got contacts. It, it could very well. Yeah, we need to talk to RJ over at Critical Blast because uh, what Critical Blast has been doing and successfully, he's he's done a few projects already where he's managed to do this and keep the keep the cost down for crowdfunding projects that are shipping to the U.S. He's acting as a clearinghouse and people will ship all of the books to RJ at Critical Blast and then RJ will ship them out domestically here in the United States. And that cuts down on the on the shipping costs. If there are people, you know, I could probably talk to Bancroft in Australia and see if he would be willing to, to act and as our agent down there too for a fee. I'm sure, but I'd be happy to do that. Robert says I'd pay $4 for a grocery store magazine. <laughs> um, <laughs> Curtis says if it's cheaper to shove them in my luggage and you guys send me over on game, <laughs> be a lot of traveling. Um, Justin gives us some clarification here. Uh, sci-fi artists and fans are in general very eager to see the sci-fi visions come despite the cost and means. Somehow it smells of fashion. Okay, um, I, okay, I can, I can see, I, maybe I think I can see where you're coming from there, because you have a lot of, a lot of, not necessarily all of the, of the science fiction properties out there, but you have a good number of them that propose a utopian type of society in, in the future, Star Trek being one of them. Um, I can see where you could make that leap as far as what kind of environment there is in, in something like that. Um, I'm not sure that you'd say that with all of them, uh, but a utopian future does have a few implications along those lines. Maybe, but yeah, it's a, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. Uh, Curtis says uh, you might offer a space to those who occupy dealer rooms at cons to advertise at a discount. That's a that's a good idea as well. Um, well, and and you could offer a space to advertise conventions. You'd have conventions advertised. Especially with Yeah. Well, and I would be interested in putting together an article on just what it takes to run a convention because a lot of people don't understand that aspect of it. It's it's very heavily involved <clears throat> as far as organizing and running it and making sure you've got enough volunteers and especially now dealing with uh with pandemic and covid and all of those things and having to make an adjustment there as far as uh what kind of health policies and and best practices and that kind of thing it's constantly in flux and you have a number of of uh, a number of conventions that are just basically shutting down rather than have to deal with it so it uh, it would be interesting. Curtis's T-shirt vendors, booksellers, memorabilia folks. We've actually talked to a couple of people in that line about because uh, we talked to Mondo at one point. They make T-shirts that are, have those designs and uh, makes uh, you know make the offer and say, hey, we've got we've got these TV shows that we do. Do you want to advertise? And at the at that point, they weren't interested, but it might be worth a revisit. Uh, Robert says, I don't think you could keep a magazine straddling a middle ground that included those that call other fascists. Well, we've done pretty well so far straddling straddling that line and not not diving into drama. So I think we could do it because the focus the focus of the magazine would be the same focus as what we've got here, where we're actually talking to 
people who create the stuff. We talk, you know, we do the interviews and we have the conversations, and then we're covering the news items. Uh, ideologically, we've we've so far, for the most part, managed to avoid uh, diving into advocating for any particular uh, political ideology. Part of that is because there's a there's a mix here on the staff. Not everybody believes the same way, and I think that's good. Uh, it's good to have those conversations, but it's also good to sit there and say, you know what? That's not part of our conversation. It's not part of our focus. Um, some warn against it. Fahrenheit 451, Brave New World, 1984. Yeah, you, you do have books out there that warn about uh, what kind of what kind of ideologies are dangerous. That's that's good. I think what we, we'll probably do is is stay fair and balanced if i if i could dare use that word <clears throat> but yeah what we we managed to do pretty well on on the kinds of things we cover and how we cover things um okay so we've got a suggestion of 25 dollars cover price for the, for a possible thing we'd have to definitely look at how much it would cost to make a book and a lot of that is going to depend on uh page count the kind of paper we use, what kind of cover we do, um, I would say a full color cover would be the best, you know, as far as, you know, something eye catching and, and solid, maybe a 60 pound weight paper for the cover, cover stock of some sort. Uh, but we could do newsprint on the inside because technology has gotten pretty good uh, to do newsprint nowadays, much better and cleaner than it used to be. Uh, but of course, quantity also makes a difference too, because if you make a hundred books, it costs more per book than if you did a thousand books. So we'll look into that as well. But okay, so we got about a twenty twenty-five dollar ballpark as far as uh, as far as that goes. So we'll see. Um, Indiegogo. Indiegogo shipping is part of what would encourage me toward an annual cost of twenty-five versus quarterly. I see. Okay. Curtis has something nice to say about us. He says, cover things with integrity, and he can attest to that. Thank you very much. That might actually make it into a spot. So, all right. So, <clears throat> the dogs are jumping around now. Things are getting woke up over here. So, we're going to take, uh, we're going to head out, and uh, I appreciate everybody being here. All of your ideas and suggestions are welcome, and they are on my list. See, I will show you. I have, I have made a list so uh, we're working off of that and i will keep you updated and we'll be posting other things as well as we get through this uh, in the meantime find us over on the socials uh, we're on all the social well most of the socials. we're not on snapchat we're not on tumblr anymore we're not on tiktok but you can find us pretty much everywhere else so connect with us over there follow us on odyssey and let's see are we where are we at on YouTube? We are st we are still at 1998, so we need just a just a few more, just a handful of people to subscribe to our YouTube channel and kick us over the 2,000. Um, because at some point, I think we're going to start uh, we're going to start doing memberships over there too. So uh, we'll see, we'll see. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here, and uh, we will do this all again next week. I do think that we're probably going to do a Good Morning Multiverse this weekend, so check that out, 11, uh, 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, 10 Central, and uh, we'll, we'll put something together for that. And then we'll be back all next week, 
and uh, have some different things to talk about then. All right, that's going to do it for us this uh, this week. Thanks very much for being here, folks. You can send us suggestions. Continue to leave comments and, and send email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. And remember, there are four lights. Bye. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.